It's Thursday, the 4th of February. Welcome to Back from the Brink. I am Todd Brinker. Aaron will be joining us momentarily. So as we went to break, we were talking about the fact that Tim Cook had recently spoken, uh, I guess last week spoke at a privacy conference or privacy and data conference. And uh, without ever saying the words Facebook, pretty much lambasted their entire business model. Um, now, Facebook's not the only ones that do this. As as uh, Aaron pointed out, Google uh, has been doing this for quite a while as well. In fact, they are basically an advertising company that uh, uh, funds themselves by selling information that they collect through searches. And so they track a lot of what you do as well. Um, but, you know, ethically, they seem to be at least more willing to tell you what it is that they're tracking and, and how they keep track of you. And uh, and they're upfront about the fact that that's what they do, whereas Facebook somehow seems embarrassed by their business model to some extent. And uh, and so they try to hide that or they try to do um, some programmatical kind of shenanigans to to, uh, you know, keep tracking you even when you have made an effort to shut them off. You know, once you signed up for them, they'll track you forever kind of thing. And it's it's unfortunate because. um uh, you know, I think that there is a sense within, at least within the tech community, and certainly I think that's moving out into the greater community at large, that Facebook bad, um, that Facebook as a company is uh, behaves unethically a lot. And, and so there's some backlash there. And I know a lot of tech people have gotten off of Facebook. I know a lot of younger people have gotten out of Facebook. Now, now a good number of them have moved to Instagram, which is a Facebook product and is just as bad. So, you know, you're not winning by going there. But uh, the, the idea that, that, you know, Facebook has bought up any kind of competition or pressed out of business, forced out of business through uh, unscrupulous competition uh, is something that's being looked at at the at the governmental level in you know in our national government and uh, and I think their behavior is questionable you know uh, and you know Google and Facebook and Amazon all collect immense amounts of data about you and use that as a product to create revenue and uh, you know I question whether or not that makes sense now Apple collect some data about you, but they also make it very clear and very specific that the way they go about collecting that data hides specific information about who they are collecting information about. They don't want to be able to tie anything back to you. What they can do is, you know, if you uh, happen to be of a certain age, then they can say, well, people of this age, you know, in general have done this. So they can draw some generalized conclusions through their data, but they intentionally obfuscate the details so that they do not have that information. They've set up their operating system in the way that a lot of things happen so that it happens on your phone, not on a server, so that it never leaves, the data never leaves your phone because they don't want your data. That's not how, they don't use that as a revenue stream. They don't want to have it and they don't want the liability involved in having it. They don't want to have to, uh, to you know, protect it and 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 verify that it's you and and be able to um, uh, 
you know, have to produce it when when asked to produce data about you because they don't collect data about you. And so it's just from their perspective that that kind of information and collecting that kind of information gets in the way of their ability to run their business because their business is primarily selling you stuff, either either physical things or services. And that's where their revenue comes from. So, um, you know, it's uh, obviously all of these businesses are successful. You know, nobody's going to say that Facebook, Google, Amazon or Apple are struggling. Um, But the way they go about working within the structures that they've created for their themselves as revenue streams has to be done in an ethical fashion. And I've got, you know, I've got to think that people like uh, the people running Facebook and Google and Amazon, um, you know, have to work within some sort of an ethical framework. And if the government hasn't put one together, then they should be very clear about what theirs is and how that, how that works. And I know Google has worked to, to across their multiple products to try to all use one, you know, data information policy that's standardized across all of Google and all of Alphabet and that you'll be able to go to, you can go to one spot, your account and go in and see what information they're collecting about you and how that, uh, information is categorized. Now, you don't know how they're using it at, the, at this point. So what are they doing with that data and why is it so valuable to them and, and for them to sell to other people? Um, and maybe they could do a better job of that. Uh, but I think that, that uh, the direction that we're starting to see from both the United States and Europe is that uh, they're going to be forced under certain uh, regulations to, to do that to some extent, to say, if you collect data about people, Here's the things you're allowed to do with it. Here's the things you're not allowed to do with it. Or even more likely, here's the things you have to disclose about what you're doing with it and how you're collecting it so that people can uh, go to it and easily see how that data is being used. Um, you know, And that, that doesn't mean that they're you know, going to go out of business. There's a whole bunch of people who are going to go, yeah, okay, who cares? Um, I don't care that you do that. I don't care that it's a little slimy. Um, or I, maybe I don't even think it's a little slimy. I don't care. You, know, you can you know, track me any way you want. Um, I'm not doing anything that that causes any trouble to anybody. And the vast majority of the people for, who say that would probably be true. Although that said, I think there's some people who marched on the Capitol not so long ago who who would say, well, I'm not doing anything to be afraid of. I mean, I'm taking pictures and showing the world what I'm doing. And yeah, what you were doing was breaking and entering and documenting that fact. So huh, go figure. Here's Aaron. Hi there. Hey. So, um, I was just talking about the fact that, uh, you know, I was talking a little bit more about the idea of um, these companies doing data collection. And I know that some people are of the opinion that, you know, hey, I don't do anything wrong or illegal in any way, so I don't care what data they collect. And that's fine, you know, but we should at least have that option and that choice. Uh, that said, too, the, the, I think there's a lot of people who marched on the Capitol a few weeks ago who said, I didn't do anything wrong. It's public pop property. Yeah, but you were breaking and entering and, and thieving and, and, you know, people got injured. And, and so, um, uh, you know, just because you don't think you did anything wrong doesn't mean that you necessarily did do anything wrong. Oh, that's true. Although, you know, common sense would, would dictate that. I mean, I mean sorry, common what? have any common sense. <laughs> yeah, common, common what? What's this common thing you're talking idea. about? <laughs> What's this common thing you're talking about? Right. I'm unfamiliar with this term. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that storming the Capitol is a bad idea. Mm. One would think that that would be a, a, a an obvious conclusion, but um, <laughs> clearly some people did not. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah, 
I don't know. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that we're going to see uh, both with Europe and uh, and other places, um, and and even here at some point, a uh, a backlash against all of this, and that there will be some constraints put in place. You know, saying not necessarily saying what you can and can't collect, but saying that you how you have to disclose and uh, wh- what you're doing with that, what you're collecting, and what you're doing with it. You know, and I think Google does a reasonably good job of telling you what's being collected, but they still don't tell you what they're doing with it. And why, you know, why is it that they're willing to, to put all this money and effort into providing you with all these free things for that information? Why is that information so valuable? And I don't think that quite gets to people, you know, that, hey, there's a lot of value in this in, in information about you. And if you want to trade that information for something, fine. There's not, you know, it's your information. But how is it being used? That should be disclosed to you. You should get all the information before you, you know, are forced into a decision. And it shouldn't be a, you know, 250-page, four-point type uh, user agreement that has a checkbox that everybody just checks and says, fine, next, and goes right. on. Right, and written that... in language so cryptic that only an attorney can understand it. Yeah, <laughs> most attorneys probably can't understand it either. You know, they they write it and then they give it to a board of of uh, the legal advisors and say, if you can understand this, we'll rewrite it and make it harder. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and and it's funny because it seems ludicrous, but honestly, it's not that ludicrous. That's pretty much the way things seem to work sometimes. Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and I think the behavior of companies, um, uh, some of these companies are such, too, that if there's anybody that comes up that looks like they might be challenging their access to data, they either duplicate their services and push them out of business or they buy them. And that's another behavior that needs to be looked at uh, in terms of, you know, the government. You know, I mean, like Instagram was stealing away a lot of Facebook users, so so Facebook bought Instagram. And WhatsApp. Yeah. You know, I mean, so so you got to say, well, you know, is that behavior legal and ethical? And and I mean, if it's unethical, if it's unethical, but it's legal, you know, I don't think you should be allowed to make a law that retroactively says it's now illegal. But you can um, you can say that, you know, we can we can moderate your behavior and we can also say that as a company you have become you know too large to manage in terms of the amount of information that you're gathering and we're going to make you break up which they've done with with large companies before when they have uh monopoly like powers and so, so um you know yeah i mean I, I think certainly antitrust uh there are already antitrust laws on the books that could break mm-hmm. up um some of the the predatory growth that facebook and and uh other organizations have engaged. I think Google has an antitrust problem in Europe, don't, don't they? Um, yeah, they've been they've been uh, uh, targeted for some leg- legislation and some legal action. You know, I think all of those large companies have to some extent. Um, and you know, I mean, I think that Apple has faced some some uh, some scrutiny that way, as as has Amazon. So, I mean, if you look at those those big four, you know, Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Apple. Um, you know, as much as I feel like Apple is the more ethical of the four, um, you know, they do some questionable stuff, too, in terms of making, you know, business decisions that 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 put 
smaller innovators at a disadvantage because they're leveraging their size and power. And so, you know, all of that stuff needs to be looked at. And, you know, I'm not saying that you need to convict anybody, but you need to look at it. And, and the other thing that, that's an issue is, at least in our country, the definition of what a, a, um, a monopoly is and, and exercising monopoly powers is. And that has to, um, you know, uh, it might have to be adjusted because uh, we are finding that there are companies that aren't monopolies in the traditional sense, and yet they, they, they have the ability to wield monopoly-like power. And so, you know, we have to maybe massage the definition a little bit for the modern world, modern era, because these technology companies aren't like the robber barons of the 1870s. And so, um, you know, we'll have to say it's, it's, it's going to, it's all going to play out. It's going to work out. You know, that stuff, as we've talked about before, always tends to lag behind, you know, the, 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 the legal issues and, and responses lag behind the actions of companies out of necessity and that's not necessarily a bad thing i don't want you know i wouldn't want the uh the uh, legislatures of the governments trying to figure out what's going on before it actually happens and then legislate it away because then they would you know they would block a lot of innovation that we might be might be beneficial to us so so they need to react to what's going on not not uh uh try to to pretend like they know what's going to happen and block things that they don't like so, you know, but we'll yep. see. We'll see how it all play plays out. So, so McKinsey's going to pay five hundred and seventy three million dollars for its role in the opioid court, uh, crisis. Another one of oh the uh, manuf- manufacturers, which will probably mean that uh, some attorneys are going to get you know five hundred and seventy two million dollars, and that million dollars is going to be split amongst a million people. So we'll each get a buck. <laughs> get a buck. Uh, Um, I'm trying to see if they name their, their version of op- opioid specifically. Um, uh, let's see. McKinsey provided documents used in legal proceedings regarding Oxycontin maker Purdue Pharma, including some that described its efforts to help the company supercharge opioid sales. So I so guess McKinsey, McKinsey is, a is actually firm. a marketing and consulting firm. Yeah. Yes. And so they are now being found liable for helping Purdue, market this thing and push it out to the world as if it was uh safe and 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 not you know horribly addictive and yeah so yeah interesting wow. now well, purdue itself and the sackler family family who owned owned it uh paid 200 has been ordered to pay 225 million so they're actually charging the marketing company more then they're charging the actual manufacturer of the product, which is interesting. Interesting. So the marketing company must have really been deep down in a strategy in a way that, that yeah. where they, they came up with this idea that opioids, you know, are all of a sudden uh-huh. not addictive. And, you know, to take – from what I understand, there was – there was one line from a conference that was or written for, written after a conference. It was written that was taken out of context that said that opiates, that modern opiates are not addictive, and yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, and that marketing company took that and ran with it. So yeah. you know yeah. Well, and like they've the agreed to this. They've agreed to a five hundred seventy-three million dollars settlement. This isn't even like a a, uh, a court issued fine. 
this is them agreeing in a settlement. So, so, so you they know they were, yeah, yeah they, they were, were on weak ground. Yeah, yep. they were on really Yay. weak ground. But, uh, you know, uh, I mean, if you look at the numbers, pre- prescription opioids and and uh, and fentanyl, uh, as well as heroin and some illicit um, uh, drugs, have accounted for more than 470,000 Americans' deaths since 2000. So in 20 years, 470,000 people have died as a result of addictions to these things. And the reason they 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 wrap in things like uh, you know illegal drugs like heroin is because a lot of people get hooked on things like OxyContin, and then when they can't get prescriptions and convince doctors to give them prescriptions anymore, they're addicts at this point. So now they go and say, well, how do I you know I got I got to get a hit somewhere, and so they they turn to street drugs, and so um, and of course those are not as uh, you know, well measured out. You don't know how strong any of the drugs that you're taking really are, and that's when you get lots of, of uh, overdoses and deaths. Um, you know, not to mention that a lot of these things you just keep taking more and more and more. You know, it's horrifying when you hear that. You know, you're prescribed to take like one uh, prescription pain med every four to six hours or something, and then you hear people who are addicts saying, "Yeah, well, I was taking eight or twelve of those." You know every every couple hours yeah. and you're going like wow wow yeah. how were you conscious and awake but you know your body just builds up a uh um tolerance uh tolerance to it yeah thank you uh tolerance to it and it does it very quickly if you're an addict you know um uh Dax Shepard very famously has uh recently said that you know he uh, he had been uh, a recovering addict for almost 20 years and uh he injured himself and his doctor gave him some prescription uh pain meds and he said he quickly very quickly after after more than you know almost two decades of not having any any um uh substances quickly became an addict again and was taking you know well beyond the prescribed dose and then was going you know outside the prescription method to try to get things on the street and he, and he said he, he spiraled out of control very quickly, and and but he he on his podcast came forward and said, "Hey, I've I've you know talked to my wife about it. We've got a plan going forward. I'm back in counseling. You know, I fell off the wagon, um, and it didn't take much. So no, and and beyond, you know, for the ones that are that have to go to heroin because it's so much less expensive." Um, and they still, you know, they have an, an, an addiction that is that is untreated, um, mm-hmm. or the rehab hasn't stuck. Uh, they um, uh, they also run the risk of acquiring HIV, of acquiring Hep C, of oh, you know, yeah. um, you know, other kinds of infections and all of that de- that or, that or go along with um, uh, needle people using yeah. needles, sharing needles, and using you know needle drugs. So it's scary. It's scary, yeah. horrible stuff. When you think about all those lives that were lost in the last 20 years because of, of uh, opioid addictions and then the marketing companies and the manufacturers and, and their part in that and how they marketed it to doctors. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of culpability to spread around here, but but uh, their corporate decision to do this, to push this product out into the world the way they did is just unforgivable. And so, you know, quite frankly, I think that some of the um, – uh, people within these companies should not be just, you know, getting fined 
or possibly fired, the companies, these people should have be criminal action be taken against some of them. Um, I agree with you. you. Know, um, I was, they, they were just, you, you know, know, much more. They're mass murderers in, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, and not to say, you know, one of the other side effects is that people who really needed significant pain management, it became very difficult for them um, to get what they needed, uh, you know, and this is cancer patients and people with severe yeah. injuries and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, because what's the, the reaction of the of the insurance companies and a lot of other things is like, well... We know that you can only get this prescription legally in your state once a month, once every 30 days, but we're going to cap you at, you know, 70 pills. And I know you take three a day uh, and 70 pills will get you, you know, to to 25 days. Sorry about the last five days of the month and you'll be writhing in pain. Good luck. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's, you know, that's ridiculous, too. I mean, it's, it is. It's, it's just it's... It's the evil. whole thing's a lose-lose every every which way around, you know. I mean, and like you said, there's people who are 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 literally writhing in pain um, uh, and have no quality of life whatsoever, and they, you know, they they do need some sort of pain relief, and uh, um, to 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 have a another corporation this this time an insurance corporation arbitrarily say, well, we we've, we've changed our rules, and you can only have X amount now. As if that makes sense, because they're not a doctor; they're not the ones seeing you. Your doctor is seeing you, and if you have an ethical doctor, then you know they they're making the decisions that are best for your health and your well being. So, yep, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I don't, know. <laughs> don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating. So, um, yeah. In Hugh. So what other things are happening in the news, Sir Todd? Uh, I was going to ask you the same thing. Um, let's see. What's going on? Um, trying to find some stuff. You know, there's not been much going on in tech. We're kind of like waiting for the other shoe to fall with Apple releasing some new products because they did a whole ton of stuff right at the end of the year. Um, and there's been a few things that have been released. You know, I mean, there was the updated Samsung phone that apparently is not very drop proof. Um Let's see. Bang & Olufsen just released a $2,000 portable speaker if you really, you know, want to just light some money on fire. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, the, the Samsung Galaxy S21 and S21 Plus are are getting really good reviews. They say they're phenomenal phones. Just don't drop them because uh, they really did not do well in drop tests. So, uh you know, I, um, uh, in addition to my club team, which I haven't had an opportunity to coach now for coming up on a year, um, I also coach a high school team that's, you know, been fairly strong historically, um, having won uh, CIF, uh, you know, five times in, in the last, I don't know, eight years, nine years, and, uh, and been a state champion team as well. And uh, we are practicing with them a couple nights a week. And so, um, uh, you know, it's an outdoor pool and everybody wears masks when they get there and they get their temperature checked when they come in and they have to answer questions about have they been around anybody who's been sick or do they have any symptoms. And so we go through all of that and then they, you know, they jump in the pool and we have no more than, you know, two people in a lane and the lanes are eight feet wide. And, you know, it's there. It's it would. And, and they're in chlor chlorinated water. I mean, you know, and, and I wear a mask the whole time as the coach. So I'm, I'm you know, never unmasked. 
And uh, so we're, you know, doing as much as we can safely. Anyway, that said, one of those kids just showed me uh, his, uh, while we were waiting to get into the pool, pulled out of his pocket his brand new S21 phone. And uh, it, it looked look? really, yeah, it looked really nice. Looked very nice. I told him to step back off of the cement in case he dropped it, you know, stand in the grass. <laughs> Uh, that's true of anything, though. It's funny, though. Ironically, literally, the the practice prior to that, he, uh, uh, I was in the parking lot waiting for everybody to make sure they got picked up before we I, I went home. And he comes walking back up out of the parking lot. He goes, "I think I left my phone inside." So we had to go in and help him find his phone. And sure enough, the lifeguards had found it and they picked it up and it was in lost and found. And we got it and gave it back to him. Oh, he's and then the lucky. next time he shows up, he's got a brand new phone. Wow. It's like, what was the point of finding the old phone? You're getting a new phone. Who cares? You know, I guess because he might have been without his phone for a half a day, which, you know, ooh. That's, that is that is trauma-inducing, you know. If you're used Probably. to having your your uh, emotional support uh, smartphone with you, then being without that smartphone, man, that's scary. <laughs> yeah, forget the <laughs> emotional support Pomeranian. Give me my phone. <laughs> It's not warm and fuzzy, but it doesn't fart. So there's pluses and minuses. Exactly. So um, and you can you put know, it in a fuzzy case if you really want the warm and fuzzy. <laughs> it's still not the same. I know. Because it doesn't push you and annoy you to say, give me attention. Yes. Like my cat. Although right it sort of does, actually. I was gonna say, let me take that back. If you're a Facebook user, it sort of does. Yes, well, everything can have alarm. Everything can have um, uh, uh, notifications on it. So every single app, play with me. And there are some games where you have to log on at at mm-hmm. certain intervals to be able to continue to play the game, which is yeah, like, it's like a Tamaguchi type thing, right? Yeah. No, thank you. Uh-uh. Got to keep it alive. Got to come back and it's and 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 touch it every so often, or it just dies, and then you start over. That's creepy. I'm sorry. It really uh, is. Really yeah, is. no. So, you know, yesterday we talked a little bit about immigration, and I can't remember if that was on the radio show or in the podcast. Um, yeah. But Vox, Vox just came out with um, a poll that most Americans support a path for citizenship for undocumented I- immigrants. So that, you know, the position that I gave, which was, yeah. you know, yeah, give them a you. path to citizenship. What's what's the big deal? So um, the White House with White House and Congress now under their control, Democrats are hoping to legalize at least some of the estimated 10.5 million undocumented immigrants living in the U.S., um, yeah. a long sought goal that Americans largely support. Um, so the, the poll was conducted by Vox and Data for Progress uh, between, uh, January 29th to February 1st, so that window. They mm-hmm. found the majority of the 1,124 likely voters and an overwhelming proportion of Democrats strongly or somewhat supported offering a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. Um, mm-hmm. um, so that was 69% and 86% respectively. Uh, that support jumps to 72% of likely voters and 80%, 87% of Democrats if you ask them specifically about dreamers mm-hmm. who are brought into the U.S. as children. So, I've never quite I, understood why the Republicans, you know, I, I, I'm sure they're looking at some poll somewhere, but why, as a party, they have been very against increased immigration and increased, you know, like they're they're afraid they're going to lose uh, uh, you know, voters, that most of those voters are going to vote Democratic. Well, of course they are, because you're telling them they don't, you don't want them here, you know? 
Um, and, yeah, and what we found was, that? yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, do you want them to love you after you've said for, you know, several decades, we don't like you? Um, but, you know, even even with that, they found that during this last election cycle that there were a lot of immigrants and, 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 um, and a lot of support in communities where people had escaped from uh, socialist governments were very... Uh, pro Republican this time around, you know, going like, yeah, we don't like the the left leaning uh, ideas that a lot of the Democrats are putting forward. We came from a place where that was the the norm. It didn't work out so good, you know. That's so why I just we're don't here. understand the fear. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand the fear of of uh, immigration. Well, for some of them, a certain percentage, not all of them, but a certain percentage, they just they just uh, it's, there's a, there's a little bit of xenophobia. Um, yeah, it's on. the brown people we don't want, right? Right. But yeah. um, other than that, I mean, I, I, I get not wanting the immigrants to be a drain on our, yeah. our social welfare system because, you know, yeah. there's a that's not a, an endless that's not a, a bottomless pit that we can pull from or bottomless well that we can pull from. Um, right. So uh, but as far as I don't know, make the, I don't understand why it's so difficult. The, the path to citizenship for dreamers is non-existent, by the way. So, yeah. um, you know, they would have to go home and then go, go home. This is their home. They have to go back to their the country of birth. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's like, and but they've lived their years. entire life here. They grew up here. They, they in some cases don't even speak the language of their country of birth. Yes. You know, yeah. That said, I think that, they, you know, I think that honestly, I think that they could probably reach a compromise if they could uh, try to do it in conjunction with a constitutional amendment. I think that you could probably get the Republicans to, to, to bend on this if you were also able to say that you don't become a citizen just by virtue of, of you know, being birthed on this side of a, a, of a line somebody drew in the dirt. Um, I think that if they were to modify the 14th Amendment to say, you know, that we will put together some other reason, we'll make it easier for you to become an American citizen, but we're not going to make it automatic if you become a uh, a tourist birther so that your kid can be an American citizen. Right. Right. You know, and I think I think and, most people are are against that, you know, the, the yeah. birth tourism. Yeah. And I think that you could probably get uh, uh, enough people behind that that you could get that to pass. Um. But that would also require an amendment to the Constitution, which means that it's it's necessarily more difficult by design to change. But, um, yeah, I don't think when that when the wording of the 14th Amendment was framed, they anticipated that kind of behavior. So the Dream Act, which was first introduced in 2001 and reportedly, reportedly will be reintroduced this week, would give the estimated 3.6 million dreamers living in the U.S. the opportunity to apply for provisional protection from deportation, and then a green card, and after five years, citizenship. Sounds good to me. This includes mm -hmm. the more than 700,000 who have already been shielded from deportation under um, DACA, which was an Obama-era uh, uh, law. The, mm -hmm. the proposal has garnered bipartisan support in Congress in the past, but it's not clear whether Republicans will sign on at this time. Uh, a group mm -hmm. of 100 lawmakers led by Congressional Hispanic Caucus will also have also called for legislation creating a path to citizenship for the estimated 5 million undocumented essential workers in industries like meatpacking, farming, and grocery stores. Yeah, there you go. Yes, 
Yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, you know, and I mean, the idea that, that most of these people are coming here to, like, live off of the, the fat of society, I think, is just such a wrongheaded thinking, too. These are people, you know, who, by and large, come and take the, the jobs that nobody else wants to do. They work for, for for pennies on the dollar compared to a lot of other people, and they work their, the way they work themselves to the bone. Uh, they just want an opportunity. And um, well, and their presence you know. drives down wages. So let's be honest: the presence of illegal immigrants in the U.S. Um, is deflationary uh, for mm. wages for on the bottom end of wages. And so yeah. let's make them let's make them legal and uh, um, make them make their employers uh, uh, follow employer employee laws. Sorry, employee right. Yeah. HR laws. Yeah, you're hiring illegals. You're probably not paying any tax on them and, and, and not giving them benefits and not, do, you know, not treating them well to begin with because you're trying to hide the fact that you're that you're hiring them. So so, uh, yeah, you make it you give them a legal status, then 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 they become, you know, a functioning part of society and get the protections thereof. So, um, yeah, there's lots of reasons to make it work right. You know, and I think I think that, uh, um, you know, some of the steps that we're taking in that direction make sense to me. You know, I think that it's one of those things, too, that you could probably get more um, uh, uh, buy in from Republicans if you kind of cut some sort of deal where you say, OK, if you come in as illegal, you know, we'll give you emergency services for like health care and things for a period of time. But after that, that gets cut off until you reach a certain um, um, uh, you know, uh, level within the, the 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 program, like whether you're planning to um, uh become a uh, a citizen if you're on the path to citizenship or if you intend to to stay as a um a migrant worker that you know heads back home at different times or different seasons of the year you know there should be some different paths because just like kids graduating from high school not everybody needs to go to college some people may want to go to a trade school and learn to be a, an auto mechanic um you know and and those kind of options have been harder to come by in recent years as well so um you know, but we've got to have a have a plan to address the different needs of the different uh, expectations and plans of people. Yep. So, if you want more information on this, uh, like I said, this article is in Vox, which Vox, um, Some Vox. good source of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Canada has designated the Proud Boys a terrorist organization. Um, and yeah. it's, it's not clear yet whether the Biden administration will follow suit. Um, and so they're calling the Proud Boys a far right hate group. Um, and mm-hmm. and, you know, the thing that's interesting is, is my understanding. I like when the when the people started talking about the Proud Boys in the beginning, I had no idea what they were talking about. But I yeah, looked it proud up. Of and, what? And, <laughs> yeah, pr- exactly. I'm like, what? The, I don't understand. So Gavin McGinnis was the one who who kind of started it. But I, I say kind of because Gavin McGinnis is a comedian. And he was in an interview kind of <laughs> talking about this group. And what are you going to call him? I don't know. I'm going to call him the Proud Boys. Or, you know, and it was really, it, yeah. it got legs. And he was as surprised by it as anybody else. And so, you know, it's like apparently he hit a nerve. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, you know, good comedians work within the, the society that, you know, and, and point out the weirdness in society. And sometimes that comes back and smacks you in the face. And you're like, woo. Sorry, world, didn't mean to make one of these. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Feeling a little like Frankenstein. Yeah, exactly. So apparently that designation will allow the Canadian government 
uh, to turn away members of the Proud Boys at the border and remove their internet postings within Canada. So Canada has, um, what do you call those, uh, uh, hate speech laws that we don't have in the mm-hmm. United States. They're, they have them in Canada and in Europe. And so they're, they're, you could find, I mean, misgendering people in, for example, which seems at least somewhat benign, um, has landed people in jail in Canada. So you you have to be very careful about what you say. And so this gives yeah. that the gives the government teeth in enforcing um, laws surrounding I'd be in trouble. hate. Yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. I, no, I you'd say I'm a comedian. I'm not a very good one. But I'm a comedian. <laughs> well and, it and was a as, joke. Yeah. yeah. As far as I mean Proud Boys notwithstanding um, comedians are running scared and they've talked about it but because everybody yeah. is so up in arms all the time and yeah um, oh, you it's know, difficult it's difficult to be a comedian but we need our comedians to say things that are offensive yeah because they make us the, think they got to push the boundaries a little bit and and you know when if you're pulling out guys youtubes from 15 years ago and saying sorry you can't host the oscars because you said something that offended somebody 15 years ago uh you know, oh my gosh, where are we? How did we get yeah. to that point? Yes. You know, that that's not a team I want to be on. That's not a club I want to be part of. If that's if that's where we're at societally, you know. Um, well, and and here's the thing. I mean, if you think about the left being more progressive, the history of the left being more progressive, you know, you know, I think of Lenny Bruce who was saying offensive things, what, in the 1950s and 60s, mm-hmm. um, he would have I would, I, I assumed he was a progressive. And what would he think of where things are today here in the United States, where comedians are essentially running scared? Yeah. You know? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's... It's a difficult time, you know, and and well, let's face it, comedians aren't really working right now. What they're doing, like musicians, is posting things on online, and that's not the same as standing up in front of a crowd and talking and being able to respond to the crowd. You know, it's a different thing. Um, so, you know, there's a whole bunch of comedians, especially the ones whose names we don't all, you know, they're not all household names, who are, you know, living out of their car, going from gig to gig, going huh, I guess I'm going on welfare because I can't work right now, Yeah, uh, which is terrible, you know. But, uh, um, you know, the, you know, I think that it's, that makes it more difficult because when you're in a club setting and you're standing in front of people who are laughing and stuff, you can get away with saying things that you can get while you make people laugh that way. It's easier. There's no read, no way to read an audience and there's no context to be taken in when you're saying things on a YouTube video. So even if they're trying to make money by creating YouTube channels of saying funny things, it it's that that's, you know, that's puts them on, on, on thin ice in terms of where they're allowed to go and what they're allowed to do. Um, you know, and I've heard uh, some comedians talking about the, the issue saying, well, and I don't want to do all my good stuff online, you know, cause then it, I can't use it in a club anymore. It's, is dead. If it, if it gets the, if, if it catches on and people are watching, I don't, you know, or if a bunch of my fans are online, they're not going to want to come see me if I just repeat the same stuff they already watched on YouTube. That's right. Well, you so, always got to keep it fresh, right? 
Right. You know, and it's tough to it's tough to do that if you're not working it out in front of an audience. You don't you know, how's it going to go over? How, what is the timing right? Is the is the punchline right? Don't know that because I don't have an audience to tell me. I can guess. But, uh, you know, if you're really good at it and you're experienced, you, you, you probably have pretty good instincts. But even then, sometimes it just it falls flat, you know. So I have so. A really quickly a great story that um, uh, uh, that uh, for Black History Month in a quest to find her. This is according to NBC News in a quest to find her birth family. A woman makes a life altering discovery. She's a princess. So like this is like fairy tale stuff. Um, Sarah Culberson, who is from West Virginia, uh, saw the unthinkable during her first visit to to Bumpe Sierra Leone. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, uh, in 2004, children watching, wa- wandering with missing limbs, schools reduced to rubble, entire neighborhoods destroyed or burned. This was no leisurely trip to the West African country known for its white sand beaches, though uh, arriving in the small town of Bumpy or Bump, uh, Culberson was taking stock of the land she would now serve as princess. Unbelievable, unbelievable story. It was overwhelming. Yeah. It re- it, the reality was just, you know, I'm coming to meet my family and everything's perfect. It was a reality check. So she is yeah. now um, uh, working to improve life in Sierra Leone. Um, she is a member of, she's a, related to the Mende tribe in this area mm-hmm. of Sierra Leone. Um, she's considered a uh, Mahaloi, the child of a paramount chief, which makes her princess of the, of the village. Um, Mende are one of the two largest ethnic groups in Sierra Leone. And um, the tribe is generally found in the east and south of the country. Uh, she has my a only Wikipedia guide... page. Oh, seriously? Yeah, my only, Sarah my Culbertson. Only, my only guidance of what a princess was was what I saw in movies, but it's really about responsibility. It's about walking in my great-grandfather and great-grandfather's and footsteps and what they've done for the country. I realize it's my, as my, that's my role as princess to keep things moving, moving forward. And... Uh, you know, good for her. I, I, you know, she could just wander around telling people, Hey, I'm someone important, but she's not doing that. She's rolling up her sleeve and she's getting to work. Yeah, that's cool. She's uh, she's a Mende princess from Bumpe in Sierra Leone. Uh, The town of Bumpe has got about uh, 16,000 people in it. And uh, yeah, she uh, was born Esther Elizabeth Kuposawa. Kuposawa? It's K-P-O- S O W A, Koposwa, or something like that, I guess. Um, but anyway, um, the picture on Wikipedia says she's beautiful and uh, she looked like a princess. Um, she does. Yeah, she, I mean, just she, wow. She found uh, she founded the uh, uh, the the Koposwa Foundation, now called mm-hmm. Sierra Leone Rising, in 2006 to rebuild uh, Bumpe High School and promote education in the country. So. Um, uh, I just good for her, good for her. Yeah, I, I think that's beautiful and wonderful. Yeah, and, uh, you know, like you said, it's like a fairy tale. You find out that you're 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 of royalty, and and then you go, well, shoot, then I should do something to help help my people. And so exactly. she steps up and she figured out what to do, and so she's doing. You know, that's just that's awesome. What a great story! What so an awesome we are story. Completely out of time. Um, we are for today. Good find on the finish there. It is. The week is ending. The weekend is coming. It is Super Bowl weekend. 
Buy your junk food now. (laughs) Get your orders in early for those Doritos. So anyway, uh, thank you all for joining us. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you.